again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Boot Podcast. The These Are Better Days edition as I visit with a young man who has generated so much excitement and optimism for Bengals fans, number one draft pick, Joe Burrow. He joins me for a Fun Facts interview where the topics range from honey crisp apples to Julius Caesar, a wide-ranging conversation to say the least. Then I'll be joined by Dave Lapham to discuss the schedule release and the latest Bengals news. And finally, I'll talk to Todd Archer, who covers the Dallas Cowboys for ESPN, about Andy Dalton heading to Dallas. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since Facebook's On This Day photo reminders. If you're on Facebook, you've undoubtedly received On This Day photos that you've shared in the past from one year ago, five years ago, etc., My son's birthday was last weekend, and I received an on-this-day photo of an epic Bengals birthday cake that he requested and received eight years ago, complete with a logo, mini helmets, and lots of orange and black frosting. So, thanks for the reminder, Facebook. Now, you can resume conquering the planet. Let's get to football. If you've listened to this podcast or Bengals radio shows in the past, you're probably familiar with my Fun Facts interviews, where we get away from the X's and O's and try to get to know the person under the pads. You're about to hear the first Fun Facts interview that I've attempted over the phone. It's with Joe Burrow. And while it's not quite the same as when you're sitting right next to the person and seeing how they react, he was a great sport about answering a wide variety of questions. Time for some fun facts with the first pick in the 2020 NFL Draft quarterback, Joe Burrow. Joe, I want to start with the famous cigar picture after the national championship win over Clemson. It reminds me of Joe Namath in the bathing suit by the pool before Super Bowl III. It's like the epitome of cool and confident. How did it happen, and did you have any idea in the moment how big of a deal that would become? One of our strength interns, his family owns a cigar company, so he was passing around in the locker room, and we were we were smoking them, and then they told me it was time for media, and I didn't want to just put it out and then have to relight it by myself, so I just kept smoking it, um, and so I ended up capturing a picture. Great video, great picture. It's on T-shirts. It's one of the most popular gifts out there. Uh, that thing has become hugely viral. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was craziness, and um, I don't think we were allowed to, to smoke inside, but I think the New Orleans cops let us let us get away with one. Yeah, win a national championship, you get a little bit of extra leeway. Joe, on draft night, the Heisman Trophy made a nice decoration in your family living room. How heavy is it, and how do you travel with the Heisman Trophy? I think it's about 30 pounds, 30 or 40, um, and they gave us a a nice little case with the lock on it that we can travel with so nobody will take it from us. So when you haven't been able to go to fitness centers during uh, this pandemic situation, you can lift the Heisman Trophy. <laughs> yeah, I guess I could. 
you have stated publicly that your big splurge with your rookie contract is going to be a personal chef. Are there candidates already, and what must they be able to cook? I've been getting resumes for a long time, ever since I first said that. So now now is the time where I finally start to go through them all. Um, I, I'd have to think about, my, my taste has been changing lately. Some things that I used to like, I don't really like as much anymore. So I think my options are pretty open. I have heard, this isn't something that a chef will be required to prepare, but I have heard that you have a passion for the honey crisp apple. Easily the best apple, correct? By far. Number one of all the apples, and it's not even close. <laughs> we have that in common. Joe, you have been described as being compulsively competitive. What loss still stings the most? Every one of them. <laughs> it's, there's not any particular losses that, that hurt more than others. Losing just isn't very fun. And that's why I, I like to work as hard as I can to try to win as many games as possible. On the flip side, is there a win in something other than a big sporting event that's still deeply satisfying? I enjoy beating people in ping pong. That's, that's pretty satisfying. Um, we always have a, a family ping pong tournament on vacation. I usually win it. You'll be happy to know, if you didn't already, there's a ping pong table in the Bengals locker room. I'll be frequenting that table. <laughs> I want to go back to a game in your junior year at LSU. Seven overtimes. Texas A&M ultimately won 74-72. It's the highest scoring game in FBS history, nearly five hours long. And you physically crashed at the end of that game. How serious was that? It wasn't too serious. I had a little little blood sugar. I don't like to eat directly before games. So the last time I had eaten was lunch, and we ended up getting up the field at like 1 a.m. So that's, and then I didn't eat anything at halftime, so that's the only reason that uh, I, I passed out in the locker room. When you decided to transfer from Ohio State, your final two choices were the University of Cincinnati or LSU, and you obviously made the right choice. But I understand that had you transferred to UC, there was a thought process that Andy Dalton actually might serve as a mentor or a sounding board uh, since you would have been in the same city. Was that an appealing possibility, and did you two guys ever make contact? We didn't before the last couple of days. Um, that was in discussion, but it never really crossed my mind that um, that was going to play a part in my decision-making. You know, my goal was to always win a national championship, so that's, that's the reason that I picked LSU. Joe, by referencing families living in poverty where you grew up during your Heisman speech, you helped raise more than a half a million bucks for the food pantry in Athens County. Was that an eye-opening moment for what you might be able to do going forward for people with the platform you're going to have? Yeah, it really was. And I'm excited to kind of come up with some more things to help more people um, that hopefully we can do here in the next couple of years. All right, a few wild card topics for you. Your dad was drafted by the Packers and played in the Canadian Football League for five years. Your brothers played big-time college football at Nebraska, but the best athlete in your family might have been your grandmother, right? Yeah, yeah. She, she, she dropped 82 in a game in high school one time. 82 points in a high school basketball game, and I've read that she averaged 50-plus. <laughs> yeah, 
Yes, she did. As you were growing up in the driveway or anything like that, did uh, Grandma Dot ever toss a ball? No, I've never seen her. Never seen her do it. I'll have to find out if there's some film of, of of her doing it one of these days. I understand that you are a huge Cleveland Cavaliers fanatic. And rumor has it, I don't know if this was in the first finals against the Warriors or the second one, but you didn't leave your room, you didn't change your clothes, something like that for good luck. Explain. <laughs> um, I I didn't quite go that far. I just wore, I had a, a, a Matthew Delvedova shirt that I wore for every, uh, during every game. When you were a kid, did you have any memorable meetings with a really famous athlete? Uh, I met Peyton Manning at my cousin's wedding in California. So that was awesome. Peyton Manning attended a cousin's wedding? No. She, he was just at the, the hotel that it was happening at. Aha. Uh-huh. Do you think you resemble Macaulay Culkin? Yeah, yeah I'd, say, I'd say so on that one. I can't can't argue that one. I think I'm a little better looking though. <laughs> what are you bad at? Because obviously you were a great athlete in every sport that you've played. We understand you're good at ping pong. You referenced playing chess when you spoke to reporters uh, after you were selected by the Bengals. What are you lousy at? Golf. I stink at golf. I might do something I have to pick up and practice quite a bit at the to get decent. Once at the SEC media days, you used the term superluminal time travel. Are you a science nerd? I am a science nerd. I wish that I had more time to kind of study it. But, yeah, I'm into all those science documentaries and stuff like that. If you could meet anybody in history, athlete, politician, entertainer, whomever, who would that person be? Julius Caesar. Why Julius Caesar? He was a, a great conqueror. And obviously, to do that, you got to be a really good leader of men. So I'd be interested to just spend, spend a couple days with him. All right, last thing. You attended the Super Bowl in Miami. You were hanging out with your buddy, Sam Hubbard. And I heard that you were a little bit taken aback by the fact that famous people have now started r- recognizing you and showing their excitement about meeting you. What's that like when you first realize, huh, my life has changed? I mean, it was crazy. I mean, there's people that you grow up watching and listening to and that are just coming up and introducing themselves to me. I mean, it was, it was, it's been a crazy experience so far. All right, you're off the hot seat. I appreciate the time. I look forward to meeting you in person. Yep, you as well. Joe has been bombarded by media requests before and after the draft, and I appreciate him taking time out for that fun facts conversation, and hopefully at some point we'll do a second version face-to-face. Before we get to our next segment, here's a quick reminder that you can take your Bengals pride to the next level in 2020 with an official Bengals fan package from Prime Sport. The Bengals' schedule was released on Thursday. It begins with a home game against the Chargers and ends with a home game against the Ravens. I discuss that and more with my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. Lapham, when the schedule came out, what were you looking for and was there anything you were hoping for? 
Well, I was looking to see what they might do in terms of um, getting division games and AFC games in the back half of the schedule. Um, if, in fact, they weren't going to play, you know, an entire season, I thought they'd backload it. And it turned out to be <laughs> just the opposite. There's only one NFC opponent in the first half of the season. The Bengals go to Philadelphia. There's three NFC opponents in the second half of the season. So, you know, that theory of mine kind of went kaput. But I do know, I noticed that none of the, no team had a bye in weeks one through four. So, you know, if they have to, if they have to manipulate and move things around, um, they can also play during the bye week instead of having a bye if they shorten the season or, or even if they don't, they just have to go back to the old, old kind of deal where you don't have a bye week. So there are some built in contingencies and, and, you know, they still have some, some fiddle room, you know, moving a couple of weeks toward the end of the season if they need to, or only playing 12 games if they need to. But yeah, it is, it is kind of an interesting, interesting season. I mean, the Bengals, after that opener against the Chargers, Dan, they go on the road four out of five games, man. And the last two on the road at Baltimore, at Indy, and that's on, on October 11th and October 18th. That's, that's tough sledding right there. But as a former player, the first thing I do is, okay, where are the grass fields? Oh, I go to Cleveland week two. That's great. That'll be a, and, and that's a short week. So, you know, you have to, uh, you, you play the Chargers in the opener. You have to travel on a short week. And right now, Thursday night, uh, road teams, it's heavy, heavy underdog. I mean, the, the home team on Thursday night, that short week, has um, has won a high, high percentage of the time. But let's face it, as short a trip as you can get going to Cleveland, and if there is, if the, if the dog pound has to socially distance, <laughs> it'll be a different dynamic. It won't be as crazy if the stadiums aren't full, particularly at the beginning of the season. Road games won't be that big a deal. Home, home crowd advantages will be nullified. The Bengals did not have a Thursday night game last year, but the last two times they played on Thursday night, it was the first Thursday night game. Week two against Baltimore in 2018, week two against Houston in 2017. Here we go again. The first Thursday night game is a Bengals game, as you mentioned, on the road at Cleveland. Yeah, that's that's an interesting, uh, interesting th- thing. And, and the reason that this one is the case is exactly – 100 years to the day that the NFL uh, came into existence. So there's going to be a big celebration in Canton. I mean, it's it's a historical day, uh, the 100-year mark, boom, on that particular night. So why not have the Cleveland Browns play and the Cincinnati Bengals play, Paul Brown, all the connections, all the historic stuff, the Hall of Fame, 100-year anniversary. So I guess it makes a lot of sense for that to be the uh, first Thursday night game uh, this year with, when you take into, the, uh, into account what that particular date, September 17th, meant 100 years ago. As you mentioned, Thursday night road games are tough. Uh, The home team overwhelmingly wins. But I guess when I look at this one, not only is it nearby in Cleveland, but it's against a new head coach. And if you go back to last year, there were eight new head coaches in the NFL last year, including Zach Taylor. Five of the eight did not get a win in the first four weeks of the season. And seven of the eight finished with losing records. For Cleveland, this is the eighth head coach in the last 12 years. So I guess if you have to play a Thursday night road game, it's good to be competing against a team with a new coaching staff in a year where it might be harder than ever to have a new coaching staff. Yeah, I mean, you look at uh, you, you look at the situation. Cleveland, a new head coach, and a first-time head coach. Stefanski has never been a head coach before, whereas in Dallas, you know, McCarthy has been. 
the Giants, brand new judge, never had been a head coach before. Washington Rivera has so you know in those, in those four instances, there's some experience there, you know, as, as a head coach. So I think I think that that is an easier transition than your first time ever being a head coach. You're dealing with the coronavirus. You're dealing with all these different things. I, I just think that that that's a that's a tough dynamic, and uh, and and the Bengals to catch the Cleveland Browns early in that in that kind of scenario when everybody's still in a feeling out process. Because let's face it, I think the the preseason games are in jeopardy. Everything's to be determined there. The dates, you know, where the the only thing in the preseason that's definite is on on August twenty uh, eighth. The Bengals go down to Atlanta as the CBS nationally televised game tentatively. But I, I think preseason games are in jeopardy. So if they don't, if you don't have any preseason games, and you've never coached before as a head coach, and, and the you know Bengals get one of those scenarios. Now, granted, Zach Taylor is only in his second year, and uh, but but to to be that new at it, I think there is a slight edge there. You know, I think it nullifies a lot of things. One of the big things that stands out to everybody is the fact that the Bengals get a rare season opener at home just the second yep. time in the last 11 years and the last time was specifically for the 50th season of Bengals football that one didn't go well in 2017 when they got shut out by Baltimore but do you think it's helpful for Joe Burrow to play his first NFL game at home I do I think it is helpful I, you know I think that he does have a, a contingent from uh, from Athens that will be coming to that football game, including family, you know, and that's just a small piece of it. Um, but I think that that will give him a little bit of comfort. And you know, he may be. I, I wonder. I would think that Taylor, particularly with the dynamic of this coronavirus, Taylor, you know, in my mind, more than likely will be the guy to line up instead of Justin Herbert. Now, I'm not saying it's not an impossibility, but if you have two rookie quarterbacks. You know, uh, one the first pick of the draft, and and one the sixth pick of the draft, going head to head in that uh, in that opener. And I think CBS, you know, made it a four or five game, made it this, the doubleheader game, the late game, and maybe in anticipation of not only Joe Burrow's first game as a rookie in the National Football League, but potentially going against another highly touted rookie at the quarterback position. There's a lot of sex appeal to that, so you know that makes some sense from a from a scheduling standpoint as well. And how about this? If, if say for say the, the the Pittsburgh Steelers sign Cam Newton, there'd be three Heisman Trophy quarterbacks in the division. That'd be that would be nuts. No, that there'd be four Heisman Trophy quarterbacks in the division with Cam Newton. Joe Burrow is a Heisman Trophy winner, first pick of the draft. Same with Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, Heisman Trophy winner. You know, last pick of the first round, and then Ben with all of his experience. Talk about a quarterback division when we're talking about quarterbacks. That would be nuts. But even if that's not the case, you know, you have all, all four quarterbacks are first-rounders, two of them are first picks of the draft, three of them are Heisman Trophy winners. Man, it's turned into a quarterback division for sure. You also have RG3 backing up in Baltimore. There's another Heisman right. Trophy winner. True. Do, yeah. you, do you think there's a chance, Lap, that Cam Newton will sign with Pittsburgh? I think there's a, I think there's a, a, a chance. I mean, I, I did not see the Andy Dalton signing with, with Dallas, you know, scenario. It makes a lot of sense after the fact, but I didn't see it before the fact. Um, and it, it all depends. I mean, the only scenario there is, you know, Jameis Winston took a million dollars to go with the New Orleans Saints because they had cap issues. Pittsburgh's got cap issues. Would Cam Newton not only, you know, swallow the, the, the ego hit, of uh, not being a starting quarterback, but taking that kind of a compensation to 
I, I don't know. That I, I think that one's kind of a long shot. But boy, stranger things have already happened, I guess, in terms of this offseason. Of, uh, it's been the strangest offseason in NFL history for the quarterback position. There is no question about it. I was shocked by Andy going to Dallas. I thought for sure he would go to the place that gave him the best opportunity to play. My question for you is, he's not going to play in Dallas unless Dak Prescott gets hurt. Has Andy Dalton already entered the veteran backup phase of his career for the rest of his career? I think his mindset was that the Bengals didn't do him any favors by you know, delaying the, the, the process. And he felt like, you know, it was, it was such a bad market. Sign a one-year contract and, you know, then see what the market looks like next year and see if he can restart, uh, you know, jumpstart his, his career as a, uh, as a potential starting quarterback against somewhere else, depending on what unfolds during the course of the season with injury and, and everything, else, uh, everything else involved. And, you know, to the Dallas Cowboys, they're looking at it as we have the best backup in the league, in our opinion. Plus, if some some uh, team's quarterback goes down to injury, we have a valuable asset to trade because his contract is, is very, very, you know, franchise-friendly right now. And it, 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 you, don't, you don't wish harm on anybody else, but if somebody, if somebody gets hurt, they trade Andy Dalton, he plays well, and extends, a, you know, a contract somewhere else. All those, all those scenarios are in play as such. In worst-case scenario, he stays in Dallas for a year, Collects his three million. Uh, doesn't have to relocate his family. His family, his friends, everybody are, are right there for him. Um, you know, and he makes a uh, close contact with a guy named Jerry Jones. Who, when your post football career is over, man, there's not a better guy in the world to know probably than Jerry Jones in terms of business contacts and everything else. So, when you look at it, real big, big picture, like you start to do, you know, when you're on the back nine of your career, makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways. It's like you playing for Donald Trump in the USFL. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we mentioned the one primetime game at Cleveland in week two. Let's talk about the other, the week before Christmas, at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday night football. This will be the third straight Monday night game that the Bengals have played against the Steelers. They lost at Pittsburgh last year, didn't have one in 2018, lost at home to the Steelers in 2017. So, when uh, Monday Night Football is looking to put the Bengals on, they're typically looking to put them on against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, they are, and, they, and they've they've had some uh, some barn burners <laughs> to, for sure. I think they they like everything that's gone down in those games uh, in, in Pittsburgh Monday Night on the twenty first, like you say. And then they have the short week; they have to go down to Houston and, and play a one o'clock game, twelve o'clock kick down there at Houston. Um, that and, and battling Christmas as well, short week. So it's not only a short week because of Monday Night Football, but Christmas usually, you know, it's a different week in terms of players, you know, are usually let go. Uh, the, the, the schedule gets compressed anyway on a regular week. But you go Monday night uh, home, which is good against Pittsburgh, short week to travel against Houston. And Christmas holiday is one of those days where you're doing some preparation. And it's going to be squeezed. I mean, I, I, think, I think both of their, you know, and that's obviously the, uh, the stuff you have to deal with when talking about a nationally televised game, you have a, a short week for Thursday night, but then a long week the following week. And then this one, you know, you've got the short week from Pittsburgh to Houston because of the, the holiday that uh, falls right in the middle of it. The old joke is that the only certainties in life are death and taxes. Well, let's add a season finale against Baltimore for the Bengals. Right. 
This will be the eighth time in the last 11 years they've ended the regular season against Baltimore. The good news is they've won the last five, the last five times they've ended the season against Baltimore. Cincinnati's come out on top. Yeah, they've had they've had a, a run of good luck. There's no doubt, Dan. And you know, you look at it. Uh, two of the last three games were division games, which you know is, is not a surprise. It's been that way down the stretch. The league tries to have you know, division tiebreaker games of some consequence, significance uh, to finish off the season. And uh, you know, no exception uh, to the rule uh, uh, this time. There's you know the three division uh, teams or the Bengals play three division games in the first half of the season. They played Cleveland twice. They play three division teams the second half of the season, um, and and they play Pittsburgh twice. So it's 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 you know it's it's laid out very very evenly. Like we talked about after the home opener, four of their next five are on the road. After the bye week, which is very beneficial for the Bengals to fall right in the middle of the season again. I mean, you'd like it to be eight games, take your break, eight more games. Well, when they start the next eight, three of the next three of those four are on the road. So finally, you know, you say, all right, well, finishing the season, what's it look like? It looks good. Three of those last four are at home. You know, two of the last three are at home, and, and two of them are, are division games, those two games. So if they can stay in the hunt, if they can stay competitive, you know, the, the month of December could be very, very intriguing, and you know, finishing off on, on January 3rd, very, very intriguing. Let's talk about how difficult and or easy this schedule is. If you go by winning percentage from last year, it's the sixth easiest schedule in the NFL. If you judge it by how Vegas expects these teams to be by looking at the preseason over-unders, Jay Morrison from The Athletic points out that it's the 13th hardest. So it's difficult to say for sure, but... I look it over and I think, okay, this is reasonably easy, in my opinion. Do you agree? You know, I, I think I think it could be a hell of a lot worse. I, I, I guess I don't like falling in the trap of, oh, well, this NFL schedule is easy. This one, having played, I mean, man, they can all be tough. You know, even when you think, oh, it might be a little bit of a breather here, you can get your you get smoked. I mean, it can back up and bl- backfire and blow up on you in, in a heartbeat. But yeah, it stands to reason. But you know, you look at it, Dan, and, and the Bengals two and fourteen. Every single team is circling when they play the Bengals, and then the division arrivals are circling them twice, saying, right. "Okay, there's a W." Well, look what they've done. You know, in terms of free agency and the draft and changing their whole football team. And you know, every team does the same thing. I mean, they make as many changes as possible. Uh, Indianapolis has got a whole new quarterback room with Rivers and Easton. Baltimore, they got Calais Campbell to add to the mix, you know, that of their defense. Cleveland uh, signed Conklin as a tackle and, and drafted Wills. Uh, so, I mean, everybody's made, you know, made changes. And you going by last year's uh, records, I think, can be kind of sometimes a, a, a trap. You know, you get baited into this trap and you don't want it to snap on you. So I, I think, you know, it stands to reason that, you should be able to compete in most of these football games. But, boy, the thing is, we don't know what any of these players look like. We're, we're hopeful that there's upgrades, and it stands to reason there will be. But until you get out on the field and the pl- coaches see the players play and the players see their teammates play and how they can mess with them, until all that process, all that dynamic takes, takes effect and takes hold, it's pure speculation for sure. Yeah, I agree. You cannot – completely base it on the team's records from last year. I do think it's interesting when you look at the NFL draft, 
The Bengals faced the team that had the second pick, Washington, the fourth pick, the Giants, yep. the fifth pick, yep. Miami, the sixth pick, the Chargers, the ninth pick, Jacksonville, and the tenth pick, Cleveland, twice. So that does underscore they face some of the very weakest teams from last year. Agreed. And it's interesting, uh, you know, in the month of, uh, of November, the end of November and then into December, 22nd November, they, they face Young, second pick of the draft, Joe Burrow, the first pick. The very next week, the 29th, like you said, play the Giants. Andrew Thomas, fourth pick of the draft. And then on, on December 6th, down in Miami, face Tua, potentially, you know, if they don't redshirt him. So you got you got the second, fourth, and fifth pick of the draft, three straight weeks, going against the number one pick in the draft. So that's, that's kind of an interesting dynamic. And I guess the other thing I look at, Dan, now that I'm broadcasting instead of playing, I looked at it when I was playing as well. We're, the holidays, you're going to be home for the holidays. Well, it's good for us. You know, we're home for Christmas. We're home for Thanksgiving. You know, home for Halloween, unless you have a Thursday night game most years anyway. But that, that part of it's all good. And then when you look in December, man, you, you get uh, uh, Dallas and Pittsburgh. Uh, you go to Miami. You have Dallas and Pittsburgh here. And you go to Houston in the Dome. So, I mean, it's the, the, the potentially, you know, it's going to be cold here in December. Obviously, Dallas, and that's going to be a little bit of an advantage. Dallas being a Dome team coming up here. Steelers, no advantage. Baltimore, just uh, January 3rd, no big advantage. But playing in the Dome against the uh, the uh, Texans on the 27th and playing down in Miami on the 6th. <clears throat> now, Miami can look at it as a big advantage because cold-weather team, the blood's thickened a little bit. In the month of December, they have to come down to Miami. They may die in the vine and the heat and humidity. But from a broadcast standpoint, that dog will hunt. Let's go to Miami. <laughs> Let's go to Houston. Let's go in those nice nice uh, weather places or domes, Dan. That, that's great for us. <laughs> One last thought on the schedule. If you go back to Andy Dalton's rookie year, one of the reasons why he was so successful and the team made the playoffs is that the schedule turned out to be very soft. And as right. we're pointing out, some of these teams that you're looking at that were lousy last year are going to be much improved. Some of the ones you expect to be really good will have injury problems or whatever, and they won't be really good. But back in 2011, the Bengals won nine games. They did not beat a single playoff team. They only had one win over a team that finished with a winning record, and that team was 9-7. and seven. So they beat Cleveland twice, four wins. Baltimore, six. Jacksonville, five. Seattle, seven. St. Louis, two. Arizona, eight. Indianapolis, two. It just worked out that in Andy's rookie year, every card uh, fell perfectly in terms of the schedule, and they were able to take advantage of it. Yeah, as it, as, it, as it turned out, like you said, uh, you know, 9-7, and seven, they only beat one team with a winning record. They beat the teams they were supposed to beat and struggled against the teams that they weren't necessarily supposed to beat. And, it, it, and that's why, you know, the perfect every every team, the NFL, it, it looks for every team to finish 8-8. Eight eight. That would be the perfect world for the National Football League. Everybody's in the hunt. Every You know, total parity. That's what they're looking for. Um, and Last year, now that there's an extra playoff team, last year two eight and eight teams would have made the playoffs: uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the and the Rams. They would have been in the playoffs with eight with eight and eight records. So, you know, you think, oh, we got to get ten wins to make the playoffs? Well, not really. I mean, nine and seven, more than one nine and seven team made the playoffs and won their division. Um, you know, and, and eight and eight teams would have been the final uh, the final playoff uh, qualifier. So, I mean. That's the, that's all. You, take care of the games when, when the season unfolds, and you really see what teams are, are, are like and how they're playing. Take care of the ones that you're supposed to take care of, and 
you know, you'll, you'll be in the hunt. You'll be in the you'll be in the in the in the race. There's no question about it. I want to get your reaction to a couple of recent interviews. First, Jeff Hobson's story on Bengals.com where he interviewed A.J. Green. In that interview, A.J. said, basically, I will meet Joe Burrow to work out wherever he wants to, whenever that's allowed. So for anybody that thought being franchise tagged was somehow going to cause a problem between A.J. Green and the Bengals, I think he shot that, that down pretty successfully. Yeah, and, and then and then you wonder if he's gonna you know risk injury doing that if there are OTAs, which there won't be. So I mean, I guess because of the coronavirus this year, all the question of whether AJ was going to show up for OTAs minicamp, which he didn't have to do. I mean, he's well within his rights not to not to show up and risk injury. Um, and I, I don't think that determination on that I think is going to be a moot point because I don't think there's going to be any of those anyway. But the fact that that he is. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna work with this guy. I'm gonna you know we'll, we'll go wherever Joe wants us to go. He's the quarterback. He's the leader. We'll he has to designate his place. We'll go there and we'll throw with with Joe Burrow. That's that's a huge sign. And I think now you know he's just like every other athlete and fan in the country. Man, chomping at the bit. You know, I mean, obviously I've read read the same article. Hobson did a great job as usual, which is the man. And, you know, his wife's working him out, and, and he's working hard. And, you know, I, I felt all along, I've mentioned to the sea times, in my opinion, that I think he's going to have a huge year. I think he's going to have a banner year. I think he's going to stay healthy. And he is going to be the A.J. Green of, you know, six uh, consecutive Pro Bowls before he started having, having injury issues. And um, I, I don't think he's, he's lost anything in terms of the elite athleticism. Injuries have kept him out for a year and a half, but I think he's going to have a huge year. And and I do think that uh, knowing A.J. Green the way we know him, it's not a surprise to me. I mean, he's he's about as – he is the most, I don't know, likable, humble, <laughs> perfect superstar you'd want to have on your team in your locker room. I mean, I, when, when guys come into Cincinnati, other media people and, you know, people that have been no, – players that – you know, interact with them for the front. They can't believe it. They can't believe the kind of guy that this dude is. So it's it's no shocker, but it's still all real positive, real good for sure. Lance McAllister did a great interview with Duke Tobin on 700 WLW. I thought Duke was unusually candid, and one of the topics they covered was the possibility of bringing in a veteran mentor quarterback to work with Joe Burrow. Duke pretty much shot that down. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me because I think the um, maturity of Joe Burrow. I mean, Joe Burrow is is older, you know, than uh, Mahomes, older than Lamar Jackson. I mean, he's he's twenty three years old and he's been through a lot. You know, he's been through the ups and downs. He's richer. I mean, he's 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 got a lot of experiences, life experiences as well as athletic experiences, positive and negative. And I think he's he's not your typical rookie. In a lot of ways, I mean, I think with his football IQ and his maturation and everything that goes along with it, plus, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, Pitcher played the position, Callahan played the position, Zach Taylor played the position, Duke Tobin played the position, Mike Brown played the position. I mean, they probably have more quarterbacks uh, uh, throughout the organization than any team in the National Football League having, that have played that position. So um, I, I, I thought that if Andy Dalton somehow came back to Cincinnati and filled that role, it would have worked out well. Because we know Andy Dalton. He wouldn't have liked it, but he would have grinned and bared it and, um, you know, and, and gotten through it and gotten through the process. And I think he would have been a great, uh, 
you know, a great veteran presence for for uh, for Joe Burrow. But Joe Burrow, I'm not asking him about Andy Dalton in that situation. I remember at the press, he said, you know, if there's a veteran quarterback like that, you know, I'll adapt. If there's not, I'll adapt to that as well. I mean, he, he's he's got that earned confidence, as Zach Taylor labeled it, because of all of his experiences and and um, you know in life and football. I think so. I'm not I'm not overly concerned. That there's not uh, that there's not a, a veteran quarterback like that. It'd, it'd be almost like I remember talking to Tom Moore when uh, Peyton when he coached Peyton Manning, and you know we talked about what veteran quarterback you know had an influence on Peyton Manning. As he goes, he goes, man, that dude, Peyton Manning, he came in the league. It's like you got a you have a you know a, a, a brilliant genius in your room, and he knows all the answers. You're the coach. You got to be on your A game. Peyton Manning made me a better coach because Peyton Manning would find mistakes that I made and point them out and make me feel like a fool, make me feel like an idiot. <laughs> I think Joe Burrow has some of that in him, you know. So I think that he'll probably probably take control of the quarterback room in a lot of ways, like Peyton Manning did. I'm not saying you know that he becomes the coach, but I mean that's what Tom Moore said. Tom Moore said, "Nothing you wouldn't believe." Early in his career, he said, "I'm standing there with my arms folded. He's running the whole damn show." I mean, he's, he's, he's putting together uh, periods of practice that he wants. He's out there on the field conducting it like a, like a master conductor of the orchestra. He goes, it was unbelievable. I think Joe Burrow has some of those talents as well. I bet Tom Brady, you know, um, obviously he was in a much different situation coming as a six-round pick. But his comment, you know, we went up to Kraft, the owner, and said, you just, congratulations, you just made the best draft pick of just selection you've ever made. <laughs> I mean, I, I bet he was capable of doing those kind of things. So some of those guys have the it factor. You know, they've got they've got whatever that takes, and I think Joe Burrow does. Agree 100%. Duke Tobin was also pretty definitive in expressing the Bengals' desire to get a deal done with Joe Mixon prior to this season. Great. I mean, it's a, that's, a, that is, that's a big priority. And, you know, nothing makes any quarterback – a better quarterback than a sound running game, particularly a young quarterback, you know, that uh, there's high expectations for that's coming off a Heisman Trophy record-breaking season as a college quarterback, the best year a quarterback's ever had playing in the NCAA with LSU. I mean, the expectations are going to be off the charts. And to have a, a, a running back like Joe Mixon in the fold for not just your first year, but, you know, the, the first few years in the National Football League, you can't ask for anything more. You know, we talk about the receiver core, um, you know, with T. Higgins being drafted and everything that's returning. And we talk about Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard. I mean, that's a hell of a one-two punch. Gio's so smart. Gio understands every nuance of football. Gio's a calming influence in the huddle to a young quarterback as well in terms of blitz pickup. He's not going to go the wrong way. He's going to blitz pickup. He's going to be where he's supposed to be, when he's supposed to be there, doing what he's supposed to do. You know, all of those things. And having Joe Burrow in the fold, man, it makes, uh, you know, it, it lifts the whole boat. We've seen Joe as not only, you know, a physical talent, but he's a, he's an inspirational guy. He's an emotional guy in a positive way. You know, he gets everybody up in the bit as such, and, and his teammates respond to him. So that would be a huge deal to get that extension done for sure. All right, let's wrap things up with some questions from Twitter followers under the hashtag AskLap. Our first question comes from Mon Abulhosen. Do you think the Bengals might add another veteran offensive lineman to help mentor and develop the young, hopefully emerging linemen on the roster? What do you think? 
it, it's not an impossibility. You know, I, I think I think that that uh, that you know makes some sense if if in fact the economics dictate uh, that 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 could be the case. I mean, they're not gonna they're not gonna they're not gonna go trade or anybody or anything like that. And usually, to get it off of the waiver wire, you know, there's it's, it's a, a veteran like that. Uh, he's he's putted out on number eighteen. You know, I mean, he's he's toward the end of his of his career physically. So um, it is a young group, though. But there's there's no question. But again, Trey Hopkins, I'll take that guy's mindset and his makeup and his disposition over a twenty five year veteran. <laughs> I mean, he's one of those guys that you know uh, they say about Joe Burrow when the coaches talked to Joe Burrow when they interviewed him, he was like a ten year veteran. Trent Hopkins was like that. The first time I talked to him, you know, even back in, in coming out of Texas as a college free agent, even when I was doing games in Texas, this dude was like Menza, Menza, Menza. So sometimes leadership isn't just veteran age, you know, in terms of years in the league. Some guys are, you know, talented physically, can stay in the league for a while, but they're not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And uh, Trey Hopkins talks about how smart Bobby Hart is and how Bobby Hart knows the offense inside out. Bobby Hart can make all the all the calls. So, you know, those, those two guys and the coaches say the same thing. Um, you know, both of them, both those players get, get high praise from the offensive line coaches in terms of being football smart and overall high IQs and that sort of thing. So I think, um, you know, I don't know anything about Xavier Suaflo, obviously at this point in time, but I, I think they do. And, and knowing Jonah Williams, like we do, Dan, Jonah yeah. Williams is not your typical rookie. This dude is like, you know, he, he made up his spreadsheet, uh, when he was in college, I mean that was revolutionary, never done before. And this guy takes football serious as a heart attack. So even though they might be young calendar-wise, I don't think that you know they're lacking leadership, they're lacking focus, they're lacking guys that are going to be like, "Come on, guys, let's get after it. This is done, and let's get it done." I, I think they get guys that can get do that for them. And you mentioned Xavier Suafilo, and that's a three-year deal, and he's been around the block with a few different teams, so certainly he will add some veteran experience. Sure. Ne- next question comes from Josh Fields. Do you think the Bengals' offense will take more chances down the field with Burrow and Higgins now in the mix, or do you see more short and intermediate plays being called? Well, I do think that, that Joe Burrow does have immense accuracy with his deep ball. And, you know, that's something that was that was talked about with Joe Burrow's great year at LSU. And, and Joe Burrow um, admitted that he didn't need to have, you know, little check down throws to get his confidence to see a completion. I mean, he'd go into games. He went into the Clemson game, you know, ripping the ball down the field, like the very first series of the game. You know, he's not trying to hit the back out of the backfield, a little, a little uh, you know, hook to the tight end in the middle of the field just to – you know, just as like a basketball player wants to see the ball go through the hoop, he, quarterback wants to see a completion made. He, he's not. He's not really. That's not a big part of his makeup. Um, so he he will he will attack the football field. I mean, he'll get it down the football field. And uh, you know, I, I think that uh, they will they will stretch the field if they particularly you know with AJ Greenback able to stretch it. If John Ross is healthy, able to stretch it. T Higgins. I mean, literally. I don't. I don't think a, a rookie quarterback could ask for much more than than what Joe Burrow may have from a skill position standpoint, like we talked about earlier, um, with Joe Mixon and Gio in the backfield and others, and the wide receiver core and the tight ends that they that they've got that can you know be complete tight ends, catch it and, and block as well. I mean, it's it's a pretty damn good skill group. 
he is going to be that offensive line that we just talked about. Will that old line give Joe Burrow, you know, the opportunity to, to get the ball down the football field? Because, you know, most times you need a little bit more protection, obviously, to, to get the ball but down the field. But with Joe Burrow, he reads it so quickly. He does get the ball. He throws with great anticipation and accuracy. So that's going to help the offensive line as well. The next question comes from the initial D. We kind of covered this, but his question was, he wanted an update on Mixon and a possible holdout and then asked, is this the crucial item for the organization to get accomplished? I think it's uh, I think it's a huge priority. If it's not priority number one, it's priority number one A. You know, I mean I think I think they're probably still um, in talks with AJ obviously and Joe Mixon. Those are those are the two I think that they'd like to uh, they'd like to get done with the cap room that they've got left. Extend those guys, um, and, and I like you know, like see it happen in both cases, obviously. And it is it's a huge priority. It's a huge priority for a lot of reasons. I mean, Joe Mixon as a lineman, I can tell you that when you're blocking for guys like Joe Mixon, you feel like a much better player <laughs> because it's like I just got to give this guy a chance. I don't have to dominate my guy. I don't have to pancake my dude. I just have to give Joe a definitive free and then just watch that 28 disappear. The 28 on his backside, just watch it run away. I mean, that, that gives you an injection of confidence. You know, your adrenaline starts pumping. And, I mean, it's like you, you, you don't you – don't, all you have to do is do your job, nothing more. You don't, you don't – just make sure you don't screw it up as an offensive line. Don't screw it up. Joe Mixon will make something happen. Next question from Greg Luther. Who, in your opinion, is the biggest steal out of all of the draft picks? The biggest steal out of all the draft picks? Boy, well, I guess when you, when you look at it, um, the, the one that probably jumps out the most is, is Marcus Bailey. If, if Marcus Bailey doesn't have knee injuries, but if in butts are candy and nuts, it's Christmas every day, he does have them. You know, if he – they had him as a solid third-round pick – and a third round pick for them is like a late two. So they had him as a solid third round pick. And uh, with the first pick of the draft this year, that is like a late two, as I said. And if he pans out physically, if he can if he can hold up, he can do a lot of things for you. He gives you that position versatility that all defensive coordinators are looking for. Bill Belichick's, you know, won a lot of uh, championships because of the position versatility of his defensive players. And uh, they're, they're kind of like the gold standard. And everybody wants to be able to do a lot of things without having to make uh, substitutions of personnel. And, and this guy, you know, can do that. So you, you look at somebody that you had, you know, late two, solid three, whatever the case may be, and you get him as a seventh, seventh round pick. That one could be, could end up being the steal just on that merit alone. You know what I think, Lap? One of these linebackers, at least one of them, is going to work out. Oh, I agree. I mean, it may be uh, more I, than one, but I feel confident that at least one of these guys is finally going to really work out. I, I agree with you, Dan. I think I think it's going to be, you know, the more I hear uh, people that um, know a little bit about Logan Wilson and, and uh, you know, he, he, he seems to be around the league. There was no shock, obviously, with Logan Wilson uh, when, when, when he got selected by the Bengals. A lot, a lot of teams in the league thought a lot about this uh, – this kid, there's no question about it. And, and it, it could work out just like we talked about a, a bunch of times when Takeo Spikes, Brian Simmons, Foley, uh, Adrian Ross, when those guys, three draft picks and a free agent, got the three draft picks, 
and watch for this uh, uh, Marcel Spears, this kid from Iowa State. He'll rip your face off now. This dude will hit you. So, you know, I, I, I think this guy could be, you know, they had three successful draft picks and a college free agent in that rebuild of the linebacker room. They have three draft picks in this in this uh, generation of it and a potential free agent that could restructure and redo the linebacker room. It's going to be very interesting to watch. Final ask lap question comes from Sean Jackson. Who will be the starting five offensive linemen and how good do you think the offense will be? I think the offense will be as good as the offensive lineman allows it to be. <laughs> that group allows. I, I do think they have a huge, they have a high floor and a high ceiling with the skill players. And, and it, it's going to be, the offensive line is going to be the ones that determine is going to be closer to the high floor or will they allow it to generate and, and grow and blossom to the high ceiling? Um, I think it's going to be Jonah Williams, Michael Jordan, Trey Hopkins, Xavier Suofilo, and the right tackle position, that's the interesting one. That's the battle royale. And uh, I'm telling you, I would not I would not dismiss Fred Johnson. You know, I, I do think the staff likes Bobby Hart. You know, they, they think that he graded out better than a lot of people think that he grades out. And he continues to do that. Uh, he's the incumbent. But Fred Johnson made himself some money by playing as well as he played last year. He proved he could play left tackle. Don't uh, don't dismiss the big boy out there at the right tackle position. And and that and I think, as I said earlier, I mean, I think it is going to be a uh, a derby. I think uh, Hakeem Adenogy is going to be out there as well. And best man wins. I mean, the right tackle position is the one that's going to be under microscope, telescope, arthroscope, any, every kind of scope you can find. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy, you're off the hot seat. Hope to see you on something other than a computer screen sometime soon. Look forward to that, Dan the Man. My final conversation this week is with Todd Archer, who used to cover the Bengals for the old Cincinnati Post. Now he's on the Dallas Cowboys beat for ESPN, and I spoke to him this week about the signing of Andy Dalton. When the Bengals released Andy, it was widely assumed that he would sign with either of the two teams – that would potentially give him the opportunity to compete for a starting job. Jacksonville, where the offensive coordinator is Jay Gruden and the starting QB is Gardner Minshew, a sixth-round draft pick from last year, or New England, where at least for now the starting QB is Jarrett Stidham, a fourth-round pick last year out of Auburn who has thrown all of four passes in the NFL, and one of the four was a pick six. Instead, Andy wound up back home in Texas. And I asked Todd Archer if there was any inkling in Dallas that if and when the Bengals released Andy Dalton, the Cowboys would be interested. Maybe a little bit, but but I think a lot of people were under the same assumption that you were, that he would want to go to a spot where he could compete to be the starter. And that's not the case here. Uh, but I do think from the Cowboys' perspective, the organization perspective, they kind of got lucky that he lives here. He lives in Dallas. He's a TCU guy uh, that – you know, with what's going on in the world right now, he might have said to himself, do I really want to take my family somewhere for a year or two, whatever, not knowing what the situation is going to be, and and try this. And I think the Cowboys benefited from, from that. And the fact that he'll have to drive a half hour up the road to their facility uh, in Frisco, Texas, and, 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 yeah, he'll be Dak's backup, and Dak hasn't missed a game in his career, but 
he's still going to be home and he's going to be able to be around his family and, and maybe sitting back for a year will be a good thing for him to re- rejuvenate him going forward in 2021. We're talking to Todd Archer, who covers the Cowboys for ESPN. The Cowboys have franchise-tagged Dak. He has not signed beyond this year, at least so far. Does this have anything to do with his contract situation? Yeah, I, I wrote about that today on ESPN.com. And th- there's – no, th- this isn't a leverage play by the Cowboys to say, oh, we got Andy Dalton in here now, you better sign. Uh, this is a we've-made-the-team-better move. Uh, if you go look at the, the Cowboys' backup situation, the, their guy before Andy Dalton was Cooper Rush. He's thrown three more passes than me and you have in his <laughs> NFL career. So, you, you know, they've gotten infinitely better right now at this spot with a guy almost 32,000 passing yards and 204 touchdown passes. Um, but it is not a sign of unhappiness of where these negotiations are. And there will be people who think, oh, sure, yeah, whatever. Of course it's a leverage play because now if Dak holds out, well, then they can go with a guy like Andy Dalton, and, and Dak's leverage is, is lessened. Dak's not going to hold out. He played for $2 million last year. Why wouldn't he play for $31 million this year? And Dak needs another good season, if he doesn't get this contract extension, to go forward to get it either from the Cowboys, get tagged again, or maybe hit the market in, in, in 2021 after this season. So there's a lot of things that – still say Dak is going to be this team's quarterback uh, for 2020 and, and beyond. And it, this is just a situation where it's taken longer, I think everybody thinks. But it, I always find it funny, Dan, that people are saying, well, the Cowboys must not like him since thing is, this has taken so long. They've made him an offer that, at least we think, would make him the second highest paid quarterback in the NFL. If you don't like a guy, you're not offering a guy $34 million a year. Uh, so th- that notion is always kind of I- – I found it funny when, when you hear people say there's got to be something the Cowboys don't like about Dak. They've made him a pretty substantial offer, and they're just kind of working through some points to, to get to a deal they hope before July 15th. I read somewhere, and it may have been in your reporting, that the Cowboys want him to sign for five, and he wants to sign for four to get to free agency faster. Is that where the, the holdup is right now? Not the holdup, but it's a holdup, the length of the deal. He clearly would want a shorter deal and the, to be able to get out there again uh, by the time he'd be, what, 32, 33 years old. And the Cowboys want him around longer because if you're going to spend that kind of money, you want to have some ability to have some cap flexibility in the early years to spread some money around. But that, that's not the only issue going on. That, that's kind of been painted around from a lot of people here locally and nationally that it's just the length of the deal. They can, I mean, that's not the only thing. There's average per year. There's guaranteed money. There's the, the cash flow of, the, of this. There's a lot of elements to it, but the, the length of the contract is part of the deal, but not the sole reason why there's not a deal done yet. Andy is from Katy, Texas, which is near Houston, but as we pointed out, he played for TCU. He has a home in the Dallas area. How popular is Andy Dalton in Dallas? That's a great question, and there's a pretty big – we joked about the Xavier Cincinnati thing, right, yep. at the start. There's a pretty big divide between Dallas and Fort Worth, in my view. Like, people in Dallas don't really look at Fort Worth very much. They're like, eh, that's not a big deal. But people I know in Fort Worth, they don't call it DFW. They call it FWD. So there's 
the Dallas Morning News doesn't really cover TCU. Now, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram does, but they don't cover SMU. So it, it, he's popular because he's, he did great things at TCU for Gary Patterson, won a lot of games. And it's interesting that two of his coaches, he's played in bowl games against, and Scott Coldine and Kellen Moore. And he, I think he went two and one against those guys, maybe. Help me out. Did they beat Wisconsin or did they lose to Wisconsin? Uh, they and, beat uh, Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl, so, right? Okay, he, he went two and one against his now coaches on this staff. But he's fair, fairly popular. And look, from a playing perspective, you know, maybe it's because I covered the Bengals and I, I have strong feelings for the Brown family. And, and I realize they've done uh, some things that haven't gone well for a long amount of a good amount of time. But Andy's a guy who went to the playoffs for five straight years. When the Cowboys last done that? I, I honestly don't. I don't even know if they did that with Jimmy. So you know, they, they, now he didn't win a playoff game. Don't get me wrong. The Cow, but the Cowboys haven't haven't been to an NFC title game since '95. It's been a while since the Cowboys have been the Cowboys. So I think this move though is, is viewed as a a positive for the Cowboys because yeah, Andy's from here and he lives here. He had success at TCU, but mainly because they finally feel like they have a backup quarterback if something were to happen to Dak that they'd be covered. TCU beat Wisconsin 21-19 to in that Rose Bowl, by the way. Last question for Todd Archer, who covers the Cowboys for ESPN. Dak's had four very productive years in Dallas, uh, and he's got nine years of experience under his belt. Do you think that Dak will be picking his brain a lot? I mean, clearly they signed Andy to have a good insurance policy if something happened to Dak, but... Do they like the fact now that for the first time in Dak's career, he's got kind of a veteran mentor to work with? Yeah, absolutely. I think that is part of it. And, you know, he was Kellen Moore's teammate here for his first couple of years uh, before Kellen moved on to the coaching staff. So they have a really tight connection and tight bond. And when he took over in 2016, Romo was still here, but Romo wasn't around much during the week doing with his rehab coming from the back. So they had a guy, Mark Sanchez was really a guy that Dak relied on a bunch as a rookie in 2016, but honestly, seven, since then, it's been Cooper Rush as the backup, an undrafted free agent out of Central Michigan that has been the guy, but Dak is a, one of his best traits is as a listener and, and seeking people out and, and trusting what they see, and Andy has seen probably just about everything in his career, and, and you know, this is something that the Cowboys had with Romo. They had John Kitna, another former Bengal. They had Brad Johnson. They had Kyle Orton as his backup, so guys that could test Romo um, academically in some respect in the room and while also pushing him on the field, too, to, to be better. Uh, so I think the Cowboys are hoping that they would get the same out of Andy Dalton here this year uh, whenever we can play football again and uh, w- whenever Dak is around this team, if he gets a long-term deal or if he's playing on the franchise tag. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Prime Sport, the official fan travel and hospitality partner of the Cincinnati Bengals. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.